0: This is Acts 22, verses 6 through 11. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated.
1: Alright, good morning. It is, uh, it's great to see you all here this morning and to be with you. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, just a, uh, just a heads up, I have a s- so I want to make sure that you all know what that is and you're not trying to figure it out as we go along. And um, we have a ton to cover this morning, so if you'll go ahead and um, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter um, 22, we're in uh, chapter 22, verse 30, um, through chapter 23, verse 35. So we've got a ton, again, to cover, and uh, and I say that not as a warning, but more of an invitation uh, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. As I was preparing for this, uh, God really has used it to, to shape me to speak um, specifically to my heart. So I'm excited for us to get into it together. Um, if you don't have a Bible, will you go ahead and hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Okay? I want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand and follow along with. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, Keep this one. Um, make it your own. Um, e- También en español si, uh, uh, si necesitas una Biblia por favor levanta su mano y diga español y si no tienes una Biblia eso es un regalo a usted um, y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 22 y 23 Okay so again want to make sure we all have a bible to follow along with and to track what God is saying. And so where we're at this morning again we're in toward the 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 end of Acts and we've been in Acts this 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 whole year. And so if you're new or anything that's great, right? We um we but but let me kind of just bring us up to speed here on the big idea of Acts is this. It's God is showing us his mighty works in and through his people, okay, the church, who are formed and shaped by the person and work of Jesus. The life, death, resurrection, rule, ascension, authority, and promised return of Jesus. Okay, and I know that's a mouthful, so they shortened it, right, Acts. But again, um, Acts means works. And so what we see this morning specifically is it is the very real, very present work of God in and through his people in that this, okay, this is what we'll see through all that we're covering. We see that the resurrection and the rule of Jesus shapes God's people and endures opposition. Okay. So again, through all kinds of different circumstances and contexts, as we, as we navigate our way through all of this, that's what we see is the life death and specifically the resurrection and the rule of Jesus shapes God's people, and continues to move God's mission forward through all kinds of opposition. Okay, so with that, let me pray and, and, and ask God to continue to shape us and to lead us this morning before his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. We get to be together for the time to be here as a community or to be shaped by you. Uh, We confess and acknowledge that in our our own lives, many of us are tendencies to be shaped by other things. Uh, Even here in this town that we love in Tucson, there's a lot of opportunity to be shaped and formed, defined by other things, even good things. But Lord, we pray that you will ground us in who you've called us to be. And Lord, we pray that we will respond appropriately in faith and in worship to the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, picking up right here, getting along in chapter 22, again, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, so he in this case is Paul okay, why, why Paul is being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down to set him before him. So he, that, that last he there, is just again to kind of connect the dots from where we were last week, is um, Paul, okay, the uh, Apostle Paul, who, um, uh, as we heard earlier and where we saw, is that Paul was on a way, on a mission to persecute the church. Okay, He was anti-Christ, if you will. Okay, he, he didn't like Jesus at all. And then Jesus revealed himself to him and said, Paul, I've got plans for you. Put your faith in me. Respond to me. And I'm going to send you to be uh, my witness, Okay, to carry out my good news and to speak it and to display it and to live in it um, in your entire Entire life, and I've got plans for you. And so it involved him going all over the place and then specifically kind of returning home to where he's from, to Jerusalem. And that's where he is now. And then last week, what we saw is that the religious people, specifically, um, who were kind of, again, that's where Paul's from, like Paul's people. They 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 got had issue with him and specifically that he was carrying the gospel throughout the entire world and and they were angry with him and they started to beat him up and they were worried he was gonna get like you know torn apart and so this guy, this Roman authority, this Roman tribune, calls him in and just okay, so we know now from here on out for the whole rest of Acts, Paul is under Roman. Um, is, is in uh, Roman authority. Okay? He's, he's, he's under Roman oversight, if you will, and he'll be in their custody for the whole rest of the time here. And some massive things happen. What we'll see is that Paul, holding on to the gospel, okay, the good news of Jesus, again, the life, death, resurrection, and rule of Jesus. And Paul is standing here, and now we see a tear between religion... Okay, in this case here, Judaism and the religious authorities and Rome. Okay, like licentiousness, kind of live life as you will, go about it, kind of make, make life what you will. And then we see here Paul standing in this place and torn between religion and Rome. And so this scene, just to kind of get us set up here, is this tribune who's like a Roman authority. Okay, he, he's in charge here. He calls Paul in, and then he, he kind of lets his chains go, and he says, all right, I want to find out what's, what's going on here. Like, what's this whole, what's this religious dispute going on? I want to understand what's at the bottom of it all. And so he calls these religious authorities here. And then you've got Paul, and then you've got Um, these Roman officials. All right, so that's where we are now picking up in uh, chapter 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. of your people. So a tons going on here in this case, all right? And we'll get to Paul getting like punched in the mouth and all this whole thing goes down. But 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 a couple things here that a first century Jewish audience who this was specifically r- written to or with in mind, they would have picked up on some things that we need to be sure that we see. One is that Paul is connecting the dots here. Okay, when he says brothers referring to these Jewish authorities, right? These religious people here he's again reminding reiterating i'm i'm one of you like i'm i'm a religious jewish person and that's where i come from And my whole life that's shaped by jesus is informed by that okay i'm i'm one of you this isn't some new thing and then he specifically goes on right in response and he says i did not know brothers that he was the high priest for as it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people he's quoting the old testament law the torah And so in what he's doing here, which has been a theme throughout Acts, is he's reminding these people, the early church, and you and me, that this seemingly new thing, this faith in Jesus, is not new after all. It's actually really, really, really old, okay? That this seemingly new thing, this faith in Jesus, is actually God's promised plan from the very beginning, Okay, that in fact, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, God promised that he would restore what had been broken, that he would, he would bring the gospel to bear. Okay, the first gospel, it's called the Proto-Ewing in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, way back, thousands of years before this, where we find ourselves now, this is being fulfilled here Okay, so this isn't just new fad. Oh, you know, different, different. you know, tomato, tomato, this is my thing now. And, right, there's a change over time. No, it's say, no, this is God's plan. The God of creation, the God who spoke everything into existence, is at work. And that's what we're dealing with right here today, in the first century and in our day. And also, we get a, a glimpse of what the gospel really looks like on a street level, okay, and how Paul relates with these people. All right, and so now through our whole time this morning, what we'll see is a consistent kind of the story is being told, right? Okay, Acts, we're seeing how God's work is continuing to to go, and and we see all these things, but we also get these consistent insights into what it really looks like (laughs) to live the Christian life. How does faith in Jesus, how does the gospel... How does the resurrection and the rule of Jesus actually inform who we are and how we live today? So as you see Paul responding here, and, and again, it includes what we saw in the last chapter and what we've seen all throughout. You see something that, again, the gospel informs how we live. And it's like a razor-thin line here of this is what it looks like to truly follow Jesus. And, and yet, in our world today and in their world, it, you, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Because in Paul, you see both humility and boldness. And usually in our world, those two don't go hand in hand. Okay, I don't know about you, but when I get punched in the mouth, which thankfully hasn't happened for a long, long time, and hopefully won't happen again, um, I don't usually respond like with humility. I I don't usually just have a big picture in mind and think, yeah, how can I I glorify God and love others through this moment? (laughs) That's not my first kind of flinch. And yet... Yet also um, in Paul you see a boldness, a courage, a, a steadfast conviction that he can do no other than to speak the truth of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. Okay, again you see humility and boldness. But in our world, just like in theirs, normally you would think of humility and you would kind of envision like weak, passive you know, uh, you know, kind of flippant, kind of just um, afraid, right, kind of spineless. And then on the flip side, when you think of boldness, right, you think of maybe arrogance. You think of, you know, climb over others who are trying to keep you down. You think of you hit me, I'm going to hit you back, right? Like you, you can't mess with me. I'm gonna, I, you think of climbing the ladder and stepping on everyone else to get there. And yet in the gospel, okay, for those who follow Jesus in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the full, the full picture of the gospel, you see both. You see humble boldness. In fact, one guy explains it like this, okay, this is extremely important for us to understand that the Christian life, the whole of the Christian life, right, the ground level, street level, how we actually live this thing out, really, if um, what we see the picture or the shape is like a J, okay, we've talked about this before, it's like if you can picture a J, okay, like the shape of a J, and, 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 and you see Jesus, on the throne, you see this really spelled out in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus on the throne, the creator of all things, we're told in Colossians, the one through whom and for whom all things are made. Okay, the, he's, he's in charge here. He's in, this, he's in this place of privilege and of authority. And then it, what does he do when the father says, I've got plans for you to lay down your life, to humble yourself? You see a descent. Okay, you see a Humility you see a submission to the Father's will of giving up his rights, of laying them down for the good of others, even to the point on the cross. Shame, pain, injustice... Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't deserve to lay his life down. And then, though, you see, as he laid himself down, he humbled himself that God, would, God the Father would exalt him, would raise him from the dead victoriously. So now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling over all things, waiting for the day when his enemies will be made his footstool. Okay, and our tendency, okay, the shape of the world that we live in says, no, 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 okay, you got to be bold, you got to be strong. If you start out here, you've got to take the shortcut and try to get here. But in Jesus, for those who've put their faith in him, there's a humility that results in a boldness, in a confidence, in an authority, in a promise from God that those who have found their life and those who have died to self have put their faith in Jesus, in him and through him, we will be raised again. We are given new life and we will be exalted with him for all eternity. So again, you can see in there that there's a, a flinch, there's a posture of humility in every interaction, in every response in life. Okay, I get hit in the mouth. God, in this moment, how do I lay my rights down for the good of others? How do I love my enemy? And and that's not normal. right? That's not the message. That's not the shape of life that we hear from every other place. But Christ says, no, you come to me and, and, and you are called to give up your rights for the good of others, for the good of your spouse, for the good of your neighbor, for the good of your coworkers, for the good of your siblings and your classmates and even your enemies. And so you see a humble boldness on display here in Paul that he doesn't hold back, right? He doesn't mix words, but he also has such a gospel-centered perspective on life that it really informs everything about how he lives. And then he continues on here. He's not only humble and bold, but he's shrewd. Okay, Pick up with me in verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. And then uh, picking up down in verse 9, Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? So, okay, this whole group has been together, unified, in their disdain for Paul. Alright, they want to kill him, right? We've seen this, they're having a riot, they're angry, and then Paul, who's shrewd, sees a little chink in their armor, And he says, oh, I'm here uh, uh, standing on the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, these people who were unified together around uh, a sinful desire okay, to put Paul to death, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we agree with that. We believe in the resurrection too. And now to be clear, right, we'll get back together. Their their, um, unity with Paul doesn't last that long. (laughs) Okay, they're just like, oh yeah, we believe in that too, I forgot, you guys don't, because the Pharisees believed in angels, and in resurrection, and, in, and, in, and in, the, in, in the spirit, and the Sadducees didn't at all. So they had a, a long history of contention with one another. Okay, and so Paul sees that. And then he says, I'm here standing on the hope of the resurrection. Now, again, to be clear, as we'll see, he's standing on the hope, the proven hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And the Pharisees do not agree with him on that. But what we get here is a little glimpse of the divisive nature of sin. Look how easily the Pharisees and the Sadducees are driven apart. Okay, they're both clinging to idols. Now, when when I say idols, okay, I'm not talking about like little mini figurines or statues or things like that. Those, Those, you know, could be idol expressions throughout different cultures and different things. But an idol is simply replacing God with something else, replacing the creator with created things. Often good things. I even talked about earlier, right? Like, you know, you know, Arizona football and, you know, anything like, you know, good things. Our families, our our friends, our our work, our, our hobbies, good things. But when we take those things and that God has given us to use to glorify him and to find joy and to encourage others. When we say, I'm going to replace you with that, and it's no longer going to be through the ways that you've designed them to be, but I'm going to just make it all about me and replace you with these things. And that's what's happening here. These people are finding religious power and identity and freedom and authority and influence and identity and purpose in these, in these idols, in sin. Okay, sin in a nutshell is not God. Thanks, but no, thanks, God. I don't want to reflect you. I don't want to be your image bearer. I don't want to relate with other people and with you the way you designed it to be. I want to do it how I want to do it. And you see here how fragile, how fickle a life built on anything other than the gospel, than Jesus truly is. Because we've seen throughout this entire Acts and throughout the entire Bible that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, brings together, unifies. Okay, constantly. You see that Jesus, right, called disciples. He called followers of his. And when we were in, in the book of Mark, uh, I think sometime last year, it seems like a long time ago. We were in Mark and you saw as Jesus was calling disciples to himself that we just read and think, oh yeah, they're all the same. But no, they were like completely different backgrounds, different cultures. You had you had like, you know, people that were all about re- revolutions and then government uh, government workers. Together you had rich Rich and poor, you had different, different backgrounds, all kinds of different stuff that Jesus called together and brings together. And then even here throughout Acts we've seen consistently, again that's why some people are fired up because Paul is preaching this gospel of unification, of unity that even the Gentiles, even Romans, even people who speak different languages, even people from different social economic statuses, even people from the far left and the far right, wherever it might be, that Jesus calls together and is forming one people is shaping one church who will be grounded and built upon his gospel on who he is on his resurrection and his rule amen and hear me okay because this is really important especially as a young church in our kind of downtown tucson and our demographic we can we can have um we can we can think this is maybe more shallow than it actually is okay the gospel brings unity but not always agreement. Again, the gospel always brings unity, but not always agreement. It means you can come around a table with people. We can come before the Lord's table and take communion alongside people who maybe voted differently than we did, who have different convictions than we do, who, who you know, you see again him bringing together. Our prayer, even for our congregation, is that we would have young and old, rich and poor, um, different ethnic backgrounds, different political persuasions, that we would all be brought together. Not that we would pretend that, Those things don't matter, but that we would first and foremost be shaped by the gospel of Jesus. That we would have a collective humility and we would understand, God, we are your people. And first and foremost, I come humbly before you and we and I say, Lord, shape me as you would have me be shaped. Even through difficult conversations. Amen. Something that we do here that we're going to be, I think, announcing beginning next week or in a couple weeks that we we began last year is called Tapestry Tapestry tables. And it's not necessarily for everyone. We have on-ramps and off-ramps for them every, every, <laughs> um, every time. And it's not meant like everyone has to do it. But what it is, is it's, it's a commitment for a particular part of time, like pretty much broken on the school kind of sem- semester. And it says we're going to come around a table together with people who are from different backgrounds from us. Gener- age, finances race, and gender, and that we would come around particular subjects often that are maybe divisive or that we want to pretend aren't there that are difficult for us, and we say, no, we're called as God's people to embody the gospel, which again is a gospel of unifying, of bringing together, and we don't always and in fact often don't walk away from there in complete agreement with one another, but with better understanding of how our neighbor Our brother or sister in Christ comes around a particular subject and that's not easy but again as we often say we can take comfort in knowing we're all going to be uncomfortable together (laughs) amen that's that's the consistent theme we see in Jesus's people in his church And then continuing on here now, um, okay, Paul had perceived this. And now we see in verse 11 just a, a a very brief interaction that he has with Jesus himself. Jesus, risen from the dead, reveals himself to Paul and reminds him of who Jesus is and what he's all about. In verse 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. These incredibly encouraging words from Jesus to his follower, Paul, that again in our day right now, we're so prone to think, to kind of talk about the gospel or being here on a Sunday morning and hear about it or think about it in really lofty terms. And, and I've been told once that the w- w- one of or a primary job of the preacher, okay, that'd be me in this moment, is to bring the gospel to bear, to take it from the courtroom to the living room. All right? To take it from kind of uh, up here in the sky to ground level, real life-shaping truth and what you see here is paul in this moment of fear of desperation of consideration right he's 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 facing death he's just gotten beaten up again He's standing firm. Even his friends, right? We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Even some of his friends, some of the other disciples were like, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you. And then one guy did this kind of weird thing where he actually took Paul's belt and he bound his feet in his hands and was like, as I am, or the man whose belt this belongs to is going to have the same fate as me. And he's going to be bound up when he goes to Jerusalem. And Paul's like, why'd you have to take my belt? Why couldn't you just tell me that? He didn't actually say that. But (laughs) this... You know, it's the whole weird, dramatic kind of prophecy, and yet Paul is so grounded on the gospel, right? We saw this back in chapter 20, verse 24, where Paul just declares, it's kind of like a life verse for him. He says, listen, even if it means dying, I'm so convinced of the gospel of Jesus, the resurrection and the rule of Jesus, that, that I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll say anything. And I don't think he says it. I shared this a couple weeks ago like I would have when I was like a 19 or 20-year-old, really arrogant, really cocky guy and thinking, oh, oh I'm going to go be a martyr somewhere and, and just kind of boldly declared these things. I think this is, this is real. <laughs> okay? This is informed by a faith in Jesus that has continued to grow throughout his, his days. Since he put his faith in him, the seemingly mundane times of, 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 of prayer, of community, of 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 pouring into the scriptures, of 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 asking moment by moment, God, how does your gospel inform me right now? And then Jesus here reminds Paul in this moment, take courage. Okay, just as you testified to the facts, okay, the facts again is that Jesus really rose from the dead. In this moment, the risen Jesus Reveals himself to Paul and says, Take courage. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm with you and I have plans plans for you. I didn't just get the ball rolling and kind of God's not sitting there biting his nails and saying I hope it all works out. This is Jesus saying, "Yeah, I died on the cross cuz that's what I came to do and I rose from the dead and here I am speaking to you right now and I'm the one in control. I'm the author and the sustainer of all of life and I have plans for you, not just here in Jerusalem, but even to go be my witness in Rome." And as We see here, how does that happen? Through difficulty. Let me say that again. How does God continue to to bring his plans to bear? Is it always through prosperity, through easy, through, hey, it's gonna take, oh, that door's closed, then take the easy road. Take the one that's open, right? Some of our tendencies and how we pray for God to direct our lives. But no, in this case, as it's been continually, God is saying, Paul, trust me. Paul, I love you. Paul, I'm in control. Paul, I raised from the dead. Paul, I'm ruling right now. And you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify about your relationship with me, about the gospel. But it's going to be through getting arrested and then shipwrecked and all kinds of different stuff on that same journey. And yet the very real good news of Jesus is again that he's in control. And that's not meant, okay, hear me, because our tendency in the church as Christians is to just kind of throw these little verses out there. These supposedly are, are meant to be encouraging verses in the moment of crisis. That If just brought out of a vacuum, if brought out of nowhere until we're in a moment of desperation, often they're very hurtful and even harmful. But when the gospel, when the sovereignty of God is something that shapes your life continually. It's like there's a preparation for when the moment comes. Not just in the moment. Not just from a friend to say, oh, I'm really sorry you're going through this. Hey, God works all things out together for good. Right? If that's the first time you hear that, it's not really that helpful. All you need to hear in that moment of pain and is, you're not alone. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know why this happened, but I'm with you. Can I... Pray with you? Can I bring you some food? But, like now, but throughout our lives, there's a continual reminder, a gospeling, an evangelizing. Okay, that's not just for non Christians, okay, that's for all of us a reminder of the good news of Jesus that shapes our life, that informs our life. Okay we're a we're a reformed church right we 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 don't always wave that flag we don't need to we don't you know declare this is you know we don't walk through the five points of calvinism and have tulips like you know on our shirts and all these things and some of you guys don't even know what that means and you don't have to you don't need to but 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 that's listen hear me okay that's not meant for like that's not meant for seminary classrooms that's not meant for arguments okay among Christians among brothers and sisters in Christ okay God's sovereignty his authority is meant to inform and shape us on the ground level it's meant, listen, God, God, it's meant like this. It's meant Jesus saying, listen, I am risen from the dead, as has been declared and promised from the very beginning. I'm sovereign, I'm in control, so you can find your hope and your peace in me, even in the middle of the most trying times. Okay, that's what God's sovereignty is meant to bring about in us. Not a theological platitude that we can kind of beat one another up with, but as a life-shaping, hope-giving truth. Amen? And then it continues here. This whole next section. Now picking up in verse twelve, and and just so you know, we're not going to walk through like we have been, kind of verse by verse, this whole next massive section because um, uh, we we could, <laughs> but but we're gonna we're gonna pick up the big themes here. And what happens now again is the author Luke writes here again in verses twelve through thirty-five. It kind of takes on like an epic story kind of tone. Of like, okay, so picture. Um, right, I'm a guy. I'm a boy. So this is the way I kind of picture. It, but it's like, like a, like a, like a playground scene where a. Bully, one bully is shown up and then another bully comes and puts that bully in place. And there's this whole kind of out, outflow and yeah, I'm a short little guy with a speech impediment so I know bullies and I know, you know how these things work. So that's where my mind goes. But, but the way he wrote this is to again bring to mind this idea of the gospel of Jesus standing here. And then what one author describes as two thieves of the gospel on either side. Law, religion, over here. Rome, licentiousness, over here. And, and, and what does the gospel look like? Standing between, as again, he describes as these two thieves of the gospel, these two enemies of the gospel. So that's what unfolds in this whole next section. But, but first, but before we kind of bring it home with that, pick up with me in verses 12 through 16 as we see, again, the really foolish, okay, we can be honest with this and look at this, the really foolish outflow of what um, sin looks like. In verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. And then verse 16, now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man um, to the tribune for he has something to tell him. Okay, so Paul's like, yeah, that's good, helpful information. Thank you, nephew. All right, go and tell about this. But again, let's like, not just kind of read along here and miss the reality. These are religious people who are so enslaved to sin, who are so blinded by their perspective and their trajectory that they're about to break a very clear law, okay, committing murder. They're they're going through all kinds of effort here to set Paul up and to ambush him and to kill him. Like, how legalistic do you have to be to plot murder, Again, we can sit on our high horses here historically and look back at first century, you know, Judaism and be like, oh, how foolish, how silly. But like, may God convict us and open our eyes and our ears to our day today. God, what kind of corporate sins have we grown so accustomed to that we justify evil? On an individual, on a personal level, hear me. What kind of sin might you go through all kinds of efforts to protect and to cover up? Okay, I say this not to condemn you, not to just put a heavy weight on you, but also I I don't want to just protect us from, from the revealing of our hearts before God. Okay, let us ask right now, God, what kind of sins have I grown so comfortable with? Have I grown so so, um, so dependent on that, that I'm willing even to, to hide it from my spouse, from my roommate, from my mom or my dad? Okay, I encourage you. I, in fact, even challenge all of us to ask the people closest to us, hey, what kind of blind spots in my own life do you see? that I'm covering up, that I, I've become so comfortable with, so dependent upon, that I've, I've, I've shaped my entire life in order to avoid getting found out. I've shaped my entire life to kind of to set me up to live life this way. And in grace and in love, that we would be exposed. Not so that we can be shamed and condemned, but so we can be brought truly, humbly before the grace of God so that we can be forgiven and informed and changed and transformed and shaped by the death and the resurrection and the rule of Jesus. Let us look at a story like this and and, and even cry out to God, Lord, protect us from this kind of blindness where we get so comfortable with sin. And then in this whole last section here, again we see that the death and resurrection and rule of Jesus alone shapes God's people and endures all kinds of opposition. Again, in this whole next section here, verses uh, 17 all the way through 35, this, this whole scene goes on. Which again, I'm not going to read kind of verse by verse for us the whole, the whole way. But this whole scene goes on where what, what Luke does in this moment is he uses even Rome crazy, wild, wilding out, like, you know, New Orleans, Mardi Gras, you know, ASU, Mill Avenue, right? <laughs> All right. We, well, you know, U of A, university, right? We can't look down our nose too much, right? This kind of wild and crazy bunch that's Rome here, and then he kind of pits them up against, on the other side of the gospel, religion, where these people Maybe even like you and me would think, well, religion, right? Religion over here, it's, hey, it's better than that, right? They, yeah, it's a sin, but it looks different, okay? Now, to be clear, religion is this. Very simply put, religion is replacing God and putting him in your debt through saying, I will observe these things, and when I do, God has to treat me this way, And he owes me. If I do these things, if I obey these rules, then I have an exchange with God. I have a relationship with God and with others that is based upon the the way I live and the things that I do. And that's that's antichrist. Come on. Religion is antichrist. And in this moment... We see even Rome, crazy Rome, used to expose the foolishness of religion. Now, again, to be clear, all right, we, like Rome doesn't get off the hook here. Is not, you know, again, it, the gospel stands, which Paul is, is clinging to, the gospel stands as a truth that is standing between two equal and opposite enemies, religion and Rome. So Paul is not like dismissing, uh, he's not fully dismissing j- Judaism here. And he's not, he's not fully excusing Rome. But, but what happens here as we see this is that he's using the foolishness of Rome to expose the evils of religion. And how, how is that done? By The rule and resurrection of Jesus alone. Because what happens here as this whole story unfolds is that Rome gets it right in this case. They protect Paul. And, and these religious people, these Jewish rulers continue to seek ways to kill Paul. And then God uh, continues to preserve Paul's life through Rome and Roman officials. And, and, they, and then this whole exchange comes where they get it right. And they're like, wait a minute, it looks to me like this is what's going on here. And they're getting it right. Again, not in order to affirm licentiousness or Rome But to expose the foolishness of religion, and I think that's probably our tendency in this room as well, is to lean more toward religion. And to have blind spots to how that's not just one way of going about a relationship with God, but is completely antithetical and opposed to the truth of the gospel. Because, hear me, okay, as we kind of bring this home, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, okay, are you guys tracking with me? The gospel, the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, ushered in the very kingdom of God, and then died on the cross so that through faith in him, you and I could could now be dead to our enslavement to sin, and as he victoriously rose from the dead, in him, through him, we now have life. And then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father and says, I'm currently, presently ruling and the day will come, we see in Revelation where the promise is made that he will make all things new. And that that truth, that gospel says to religion, no, 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 I'm not in your debt. Okay, God's not ever put in our debt if you do these things and do, no. He says, because Jesus rose from the dead, he says it is by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that we are reconciled to God, that we are made whole, that we find life and forgiveness and hope and identity and purpose. And that religion that says, nah, we don't really need that. We don't, I don't really need the cross, right? None of us in here would, would verbally say that. But man, how many of us with our lives actually do affirm that. But because Jesus rose from the dead, he says, no, 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 religion has no place. It is by his grace alone, his undeserved favor, by placing your trust in Jesus Christ alone that the hope of eternal life is found. And over here to licentiousness, and I'm not picking on you guys in the UK. I know some of us, right? We're all we all belong in everywhere here, right? I do kind of lean this way, probably a little more. Like I kind of tend toward l- license a l- little more. I jaywalk wherever. I've spent enough time overseas that I don't worry about those kind of things. And okay, my my bent is more toward you know okay whatever kind of cutting corners whatever. But similarly. Okay, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then we cannot stand here and say, ah, you know, cheap and grace, whatever. God just kind of got the ball rolling. He doesn't care about how I live my life now. He doesn't care about sexuality and about my my work and my business practices and my hobbies and all these things. No, if Jesus really rose from the dead, if he is truly the creator of all things and he victoriously rose from the dead and and is now uh, ushering in the way life is supposed to be lived, then he gets to declare, how life is to be lived how our homes are to look how our sexual practices and our sexual identity is to look how we view ourselves how we view others how we consume media and art and food every part of life is informed and shaped by the good news of Jesus and whether it's Religion or license? Jesus stands and says, no. His resurrection and his rule shapes God's people and continues to move forward through all kinds of opposition. And hear me, church, that has very real implications for us today. Amen? So now let's respond to him individually and as a community in prayer, in worship, in giving, and coming before his table and taking communion in response to the good news of Jesus. Let's pray and let's worship together. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you that you're good Lord, that your word endures forever, that though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word endures forever, Lord. We pray that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart, Lord, the things we say, the things we actually think and feel at a gut level, again, how we view ourselves, how we relate with others, how we go about our everyday lives, Lord, we submit to you. We stand on you and your gospel alone. Lord, we pray that our lives would truly be shaped by the fact that Jesus, our creator, died on the cross and rose from the dead and is presently, currently ruling today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.